Hey, before we begin, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. So if you want to look spiffy for a big night out, who doesn't want to look spiffy? Sport Clips should be one of the first stops you make. Sport Clips makes it more convenient than ever to get a haircut. And get this, you can now enjoy online check-in or some of their other features from Sport Clips website or by just simply speaking to your Amazon Alexa or Google Nest. And this way you can save time by getting in line before heading into your favorite Sport Clips for your next haircut. You also can sit in their uh, chairs and you know watch ESPN, which I'm always a fan of, um, in addition to getting a great haircut. Uh, sport clips. You choose the cut, they cut the weight. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. Unfortunately, we spent a lot of time talking about sadness in the NBA in the last month or so. And um, it's not just the NBA that is uh, still mourning with the death of Kobe Bryant. I am joined this week by our midweek group that we always talk about. We're always here. We always hope to talk about positive things and do analysis and make fun of things and criticize and laugh. And it's been hard to do any of that this last five, six days. Um, Jackie McMullen is with us from Boston and Tim McMahon from Dallas. Everybody is home, but nobody's very happy, Jackie. Yeah, tough week. Um, I just had, a, like many, I think, just a horrible visceral reaction. It, it really, I mean, the tragedy itself and all the people involved, not just Kobe and his daughter, but, you know, there's there's a little girl who's a junior in high school out there who lost both of her parents and her sister and, and her brother, same thing. And so um, just the whole, it was just a horrible, horrible, horrible thing and um i was on top of a mountain skiing with my daughter i snuck away to breckenridge for a day or two i was at the summit um with no cell service and some stranger came up to me and i've seen that look a million times when someone comes up to you they can't wait to tell you something really really horrible and i just thought well what can it be now because i knew it was something bad and you know i just go back to david stern and that went me hard as well someone i knew well and um and I thought, wow, man, he's gone way too soon. So what does that say about 41-year-old Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter? Three three children on that flight. It just, ugh, it's hard to sleep, you know? It really is. You know, three stories that, I, you know, there's been just a total outpouring of support. But three things right. about Kobe that I heard this week that, that really stuck with me. Uh, number one was a story, it was in Dave McMenamin's, uh, one of David McMenamin's stories, and I, you guys can tell me if you've heard this before. I had never heard this anecdote, and I thought it was, it, I thought it said everything about Kobe. It was about, it was about 2008, training camp 2008. Kobe had just won the gold medal with um, Team USA, and we all remember, had a dominating gold medal game fourth quarter, carried them to a victory over Spain, which had his Los Angeles Lakers teammate, uh, Paul Gasol on it. And as a reminder, they had just lost in the finals the previous year to the Celtics in six games. And Kobe at training camp hung his gold medal inside Powell's locker. When, when Powell reported for training camp, the gold medal was hanging there, which is such a Kobe move because it's so savage. Um, but also he was doing his, you know, mind game, mind tricks, trying to motivate him. Um, and, you know, the, Powell had a great year, and they did win the next two titles. The second thing was about the way Kobe attacked his retirement and the way he basically plotted to get an Oscar. 
he analyzed the whole scenario. He said, where can I, I want an Academy Award, like I want a championship. How do I get an Academy Award? He determined that the shorts category was an area that he could produce quicker and more effectively than producing a movie. Secondly, that he, because of his resources, could basically overwhelm that market because he could hire all the best animators, he could hire all the best uh, people and, and basically overwhelm it. And then after he got his his short nominated, he went on a full court press um, to sway the voters by showing up at all these events as Kobe Bryant, glad-handing, smiling, posing for pictures, talking about the project and winning that Oscar. Now, it doesn't take away from the fact that it was a great um, piece, but it was like him showing an analytical at- a- a- attack the way he analyzed his career. And it was amazing that he, like two years out of basketball, could win an Oscar, to win an Academy Award, to hold a Finals MVP trophy in one hand and an Academy Award in another. And the third was just from this year, um, when he met Luka Doncic for the first time, and Luka came up alongside him to inbound the ball. And I'm sure he knew Kobe was sitting there, and he, but the game was going on. And Kobe said something to him in Slovenian, and Luka's head spun around. And, of course, Kobe knew he was going to be meeting Luka that night, whether it was in the middle of the game or post-game or whatever. He took the time to learn something in Slovenian, and that just shows you how savvy Kobe was about everything, but especially about international, uh, his, his, uh, his, his importance and the ability to appeal to the international fan and the international players. Uh, I was in China with Kobe in, um, in, in uh, September, saw the Chinese fans reacted to him. He had a huge, huge impact. The most famous athlete in China, the most famous non-Chinese athlete in China, I should say. Those three stories to me encapsulate kind of the kind of competitor and thoughtful, deep, always-do-anything-to-win type of guy Kobe was. I know there's been a thousand other stories told, McMahon, right. but um, those um, I thought those stuck out to me this, this week. Well, and the, and the Luca story, to me, that's interesting for, for a completely different reason. The reason Kobe was at that particular game, just like the reason that they went to two Hawks games this year, is because... He wanted Gigi to see her favorite players. Trey Young, Luka Doncic, those guys were right at the top of the list of, of their favorite players, or, or I'm sorry, of her favorite players. And so that's the reason he was at that game. And it's the only time that Luke ever met Kobe. And, and he knew Kobe was there, but he didn't, he just heard somebody talking trash in Slovenian, turns around, it's Kobe, and he laughs. And then after the game, he comes over. Kobe introduces Gigi, you know, Luca takes a, a picture with her. I mean, it, this is a big moment for Luca. You know, he gets a, has a little conversation with that, uh, with Kobe. And, you know, I, they, they didn't have the, it seemed like from what I've read, Trey Young really was kind of developing a close relationship with, uh, with Kobe and Gigi. I don't, I don't know that there's necessarily a lot of follow up with Luca, but I can tell you that this really, really hit. Luca hard and and you know I think it was just the 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 quick little bond that he made with with Gigi as much as anything and I think I think as legendary as Kobe was I know for me personally and for a lot of people when you found out his 13 year old daughter was in there that hit me harder than anything and then you find out two of her teammates are in there as well um, and I mean you saw the 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 girl dad movement on uh on, on twitter you know with with l duncan's great little 
uh, piece that sparked that. You know, it, I, I, and if you're being kind of, I don't know if optimistic is the right word, if you want to find a, a tiny little silver lining, I do think Kobe's commitment to being an awesome dad, it seemed like he was as competitive to how, how can I be the best possible dad? Uh, I, I do think, you know, that's inspiring for, for me and for a lot of other dads. You know, it's just interesting. He, um, you talk about Trey Young feeling close to Kobe and to Gigi. This is what Kobe, Kobe was a networker, like the best networker ever. And, and Brian, those three examples you gave, don't, doesn't that typify it? And I include the media in this. We all had, uh, you know, there's been myself and many of us have written personal recounts, uh, our, our, you know, communications with Kobe, our relationships with Kobe. And he had that unique quality that so many great leaders have of making you feel like you were the only person in the room. He did it with so many in media. And, you know, we were all, he was mad at all of us from time to time. Didn't speak to us for long periods of time. I, you know, my good friend Bill Plaschke talks a lot about that. They, they were up and down and up and down, but Kobe was always smart enough to come back around. And, you know, imagine calling Zach Lowe to say, I'm worried about your profession. I think, you know, media members should spend more time breaking down film. Well, talk about putting yourself in Zach's wheelhouse, right? And these are the mm-hmm. kind of things that he did with all of us. He was, he was very, very savvy. And he did the same thing with the players in the NBA. All these young players that are reaching out to them. He, he dealt with each one of them. He helped each one of them. That And he made them feel like they were the most important person. And I've seen this, and I'm sure you guys have too, with some great, great leaders and some great you know, people, very successful people in our world. They're, they're very, very good at this. And, and Kobe was, was wonderful at it. And he made you feel, when you were with him, like he was telling you something he wasn't going to tell anybody else, even if that wasn't true. And so uh, I've said it... I said it when he was alive. I'll say it now. He was the most intelligent, insightful, savvy, and complicated athlete I have ever, ever been around. I, it's it's not um, something that is uh, easy to recognize now. It's also not something I would say that anybody would want to make a trade for. But um, the terrible, tragic nature of his death will only exponentially increase his legend Um, the mark that he left on the NBA and on uh, you know the basketball world and beyond will now forever be much larger not that that's something that he would have desired but that is a that is a a remarkable um, thing that comes out of this Uh, but but isn't um, it interesting Brian too that that you know, Barkley said to me the other day, I said, he said, I don't think anybody knew Kobe very well. I said, who was Kobe's closest friend? Who was his, you know, his confidant, his NBA confidant? Who was his closest friend? And Barkley said, I don't think any of us knew him really, really well. He was always respectful, cordial. You know, you'd see him, you'd, do the, you'd, you'd hug, you'd talk, you'd ask about each other's family. And he said, and then he would just keep on moving on. Now, I'm sure you guys have. I know I've talked to a million um, ex and current NBA players over the last few days, they're all devastated by this. And, you know, many of them thought that, you know, of course, Kobe's going to go into the Hall of Fame first ballot um, this summer. And, you know, the, the impression I get from talking with these guys is that, you know, he would have asked Michael Jordan to represent him. I do think that Michael was his idol, that he was someone that he just he wanted to surpass him. I don't think he quite did, but we, we can leave that open to interpretation. There are some who believe that Kobe's the 
the, the better player. I'm, I'm not going to go there today. But uh, so I do think, you know, Jordan was com- just completely devastated by this. Kobe really was his little brother. And maybe the one person that Kobe would really let down his guard with. Well, I'll go there. Jordan was the better player. <laughs> but um, yeah. I think that's true. I think Kobe didn't really keep that many friends. Um, yet, there's a lot of people who felt they were his friends. And I think that's... Yes. that's Again, another gift. Yeah, um, but I also think that once Kobe uh, released his ultimate uh, desire to kill everybody in front of him, which happened, I think, right about when he announced his retirement, and he was able to enjoy that last season of actually embracing um, those folks. Well, uh, and he's different. He was different, you know, in, in the beginning. You know, I remember Shaq telling me that, you know, one of the stories he told me in the book that we did together was that when Kobe was a rookie, you know, he's out there taking shots all over the place, and all the veterans were really ticked off, and Del Harris yanked him out of the game, and he's sitting on the bench, and someone came down from the stands, one of Jerry Buss's people, at least according to Shaq, and said, Del Harris, put him back in the game, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so he was, he had, you know, he, he, he walked with a lot of self-confidence, and in the early going, um, you know, hadn't maybe perhaps earned the right to do that yet, but it didn't stop him. His insatiable thirst for greatness, to me, is the single most, the thing that I have to point to, and, it, and it, he never understood why everybody wasn't like that. Why That's wouldn't true. you be the best you could be? Right. Why right. wouldn't you? He could never understand it. He could never understand why, you know, Shaq did all these wonderful things. You know, Shaq was still an MVP. He was a great player, but he, he you know, he did films. He did rapping. And Kobe's thought was, man, I'll do that later. I'll get to that later. In fact, I got an email from him right when he retired that said, have you ever written any mystery novels? And I said, no. Why? You know, yeah, you've got those six or seven, Jackie, that you just have over yeah, there right. that you'll publish yeah. later. Right. And I said, no, why? And he said, well, why haven't you done it? I said, I don't have time. I'm trying to do this job. I'm trying to raise my kids. And he said, well, that's too bad. And I said, what do you mean it's too bad? He said, well, you should really, you should really, you know, you're a really good writer. You should really spread your wings. And I said, well, why are you asking me about mystery novels? He said, because I think I'm going to do some. And of course, he came out with a New York Times bestselling Wizard series that, you know, so man, I'm sorry, I just couldn't. I'm not as good well, a multitasker. What can I, I know say? that uh, I know that he won the Oscar, but I have to say, I watched a little bit of that Muse Cage, and I had no idea what I was watching. So, yeah. not everything was gold, but uh, certainly right. a lot of it was. Um, all right, well, we're going to move on and talk about the uh, the rest of the NBA now because the the game is moving on and. Um, with all you know, I want to respect Kobe, but at the same time, um, I, I don't want to linger in this forever. Uh, I, I, I know sure, that he, understood. you know, I think if he was still here, he would prefer us to be talking about some of the stuff that he appreciated. Um, this unfortunate scenario, this unfortunate situation, is completely dampened what has otherwise been a tremendous week for Zion Williamson, which was, you know, we were all excited about Zion's first few games. Um, and he has been really good in those first few games. Um, and you know, it's just complete. I mean, you know, Zion, I think it was Zion's second game. Um, he had, he came off the court and gave an interview, uh, about the terrible loss of Kobe second or third game. But, um, guys, I, um, I, I was sort of, uh, in, I, I was indifferent on Zion coming into the NBA. I certainly was hopeful that he was going to be good. Um, but then, in the preseason, those games really genuinely excited me, how great he looked in the preseason, which is why it was so upsetting that he got derailed. 
And he has picked up right where he left off. He is shooting 60-some percent, you know, showing all kinds of uh, uh, ability, even though it's very clear he doesn't know much, quite comprehend everything that's going on around him. He looks freaking fantastic. I, I couldn't be more excited about his first handful of games here. Um, it's been hard to have that excitement with the with the uh, tragedies. But, uh, I mean, are you guys feeling the same way? Uh, you know, in, in some ways, it's like when, you, when you're a kid and you open this awesome toy, you know, say like it's a remote control car or whatever, but you only get a certain amount of time that you can play with it. You know, uh, I mean, as far as the minutes restriction goes, like you, when Alvin Gentry and it's, look, boo Alvin Gentry all you want. What's he going to do? I mean, he's he's told this is the minutes restriction. You know, you got you got to pull him. But how much did that have to just pain Alvin Gentry to have to pull Zion from the from you know crunch time in his first couple of games? And like I said, I don't blame him. I mean, you hire. Uh, one of the most renowned athletic trainers in, in, in the world, you know, you, you poach him from the Suns and you listen to the guy. <laughs> but, uh, like, you know, especially his first game, he goes and it, boom, 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 17 points in the fourth quarter, you know, kind of took a while to get going. And man, now he's doing something that feels historic. And it's like, up ah, minutes restriction, come sit over here. Yeah, and I guess from a fan's point of view, that would be upsetting. But from my point of view, I I don't care. I'm still excited about the next 15 years. Yeah, that. Yeah, and to me, you better do that. If you if you're if you're going to have a minutes restriction, a minutes restriction is exactly what it sounds like. You have to restrict his minutes. So don't say you're going to put him on a minutes restriction, and then the very first game when you have a chance to win it, blow it out of the water. Good gracious, no. You know what surprised me about him. you know, the brute strength, no, but he's so active on the offensive glass. I mean, he just destroyed teams. He's been destroying teams on second-chance shots. And I wonder if, I'm sure he he could do it, but I wonder if the Pelicans are going to tell him that they want him to do that, if that's a sustainable skill. You know, I've talked to so many coaches through the years, as we all know, they don't even want you offensive rebounding, right? They want you to go back on defense because the of the Doc was one of the takes. people that pioneered yeah. that. He's like, get back. Exactly. Don't even get crash back. the board. But I, I happen to love this. I have, It's one of my favorite things when teams crash like this and, and score on, you know, offensive putbacks and things like that and just destroying the, you know, paint, the paint defense. It's been really fun. Really, really fun. But I wonder if that's a skill that will be sustainable, not because I don't think he can do it, but because they're, I think they're going to say, him, you know, let's, let's pick your spots there. You know, it's amazing to me too, is how on the NBA, on an NBA floor, how my God, does he stick out? Yeah, he um, really does. I mean, most of the time with rookies, um, this doesn't always apply to, to big men, but it applies to him a lot. Rookies stick out for the opposite to, opposite scenario. You put them out there, and even though they were first team All America in college, they look like you know, frankly, little boys when they play with the grown men. When they're playing with twenty seven, twenty eight year olds in their full development prime, who are muscle bound and beefy and strong and mean and and uh, honed, uh, the 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 rookies just get slapped around. Um, you see this all the time. It was actually one of the things that, one of the reasons why LeBron was able to be so successful is that he was one of the rare 19, 18-year-olds who came in and had an NBA body. So many do not. 
well, not only does Zion have an NBA body, he's bigger than everybody else out there. Like when you, he does, he, he doesn't have an NBA body. He has an NFL body with NBA explosiveness. Man, it is nobody it's in the NBA. That's not an NBA, but we've never seen a body like that in the NBA before. You're right. You're right, McMahon. Well, the only right. one that would be close, and it's because he's smaller. He does remind me a little bit of a young Barkley. Now, Barkley's smaller. Yeah, you know, shorter. But boy, he does. When Barkley came on, we're all like, "What is this dude doing? How is this pudgy little roly poly, you know, fire hydrant? How is he? How is he rebounding the way he's doing?" So I. There's a little bit of Charles Barkley in Zion. I thought he had an interesting quote. Now, I read it in Joe Varden and the Athletic. It may have been in the scrum. doesn't mean that it wasn't in the scrum. But um, he had a quote Sunday after uh, they won in Cleveland. And he was talking about how he's a little overwhelmed with everything that's being put on his plate right now. Um, the scouting reports... Um, everything that the, that the Pelicans are doing to try to help him with his body, with how to land. And he had this quote, it's a lot to take in sometimes. I feel like people forget I'm 19 and they come and give me all the statistics. And I'm like, I just want to hoop, to be honest, um, which I which I think was – I appreciated him being honest um, and I think telling the truth there. But I think – what he's also what he's also saying is that even though he's having these good games, he's his head is still spinning. You know, mm-hmm. um, he said that sometimes scouting reports can be misleading, and some of the players can do a lot That's more than funny. the scouting report says. <laughs> um, in other words, boy, these guys are good. Um, and, but also, uh, like, how do you think your scouting staff feels? Like, you might want to keep that to yourself. <laughs> that was funny. Right, I appreciate his honesty, though. Yeah, but that's the thing. He's just, he's a young, exuberant, talented player who's just been waiting. You think we've been waiting. How do you think he's been feeling? Right. Because you, know you know he felt he was ready to play three or four weeks ago. And, and whether he was or he wasn't is irrelevant. You know, the, the staff, I don't blame the Pelican staff for doing whatever they need to do to keep him healthy. And so this kid's been chomping at the bit, and now people are telling him, all right, our data tells us you should lift this. I mean, I'd be the same way. Hey, man, get out of the way. Just let me smash this ball on somebody's head. I get it. It's great. And I, I just think it's refreshing. I, I hope it's, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's really refreshing. Um, great exuberance. I'm just super excited just, about him. I'm just super excited. I really, really want him to do well. I know that we're not supposed to take a uh, position. I just want him to stay healthy. And if he stays healthy, all that will figure itself out. But yeah, I, obviously, and, and that's why the Pelicans have been so patient with them. That's why they've, you know, really broken it down to the simplest form. And there's, you know, the the diet. And Maybe the not simple enough, though. That sounds like they're not being simple enough for them, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I actually wondered, when the Pelicans heard those quotes, I wondered how they would react. Um, I think uh, they can. Don't you think they can process that, Brian? Is this is just a young, exuberant kid that's joining the league? I mean, go back and look well, at and any great player and and some of the things they said their first year you know you just you, it's all part of the deal i, I don't well, think and, and a guy who's that talented like do you think in high school he ever saw a single scouting report or i mean even it was just like go out there and be dominant and so even if they're giving him very basic scouting reports it's like wow this is you know and then like when i talk about the simplest form i'm talking about how he runs how he how he lands and all that kind of stuff, but that's not things that you really think about 
until somebody makes you think about it. So if you're thinking about something even that simple, it, it seems like there's a lot going on there. I thought Scottie Pippen had um, – he was on the jump last week, and I thought uh, he had he had great advice. Um, I don't know if he said this on air, but he said this to me off the air. He said, my advice to him is to hang on the rim. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like a stupid uh, – it sounds like – that's pretty simplistic. What are you talking about? And right. he was like, when you dunk, hang on the rim and let it – you know, take some of the weight off the power that you're coming down with. That's a good Hang point. On the rim. And let traffic clear. <laughs> right. Hang on the rim is what his, his advice was. And uh, I was like, you know what? You don't need a, a six-page data uh, report to understand that advice. I don't know how the rim's going to handle it. But, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, Those poor rims. But I'm really excited, you know, and like, you know, there, you know, there's a lot of analysis about, you know, well, the Pelicans have the easiest schedule left in the West, and can they make the playoffs? I mean, yeah, I care about all that, and I want to see all that, and he's got national TV games coming up. That's all fine. It's relevant, but I just want – I'm just excited about what he's doing. I just want him to keep doing it and keep having good games. And um, I don't even think – you know, he had a great shooting game that night. Um that's going to be abnormal. I don't expect him. In fact, he hasn't hit a three-pointer since then. He's only taken two. Um, right. yeah. But uh, he's going to have a great game. He hasn't had a great game yet. Uh, he's going to have well, a game a, where he really, you know. Is, a great complete game. A great complete game. Yeah. Right. Because he's, he's right. certainly had some pretty incredible moments. Yeah, well, he had those, what was it? Was it two minutes or three minutes of like unconsciousness? Um, oh my yeah, gosh! Seventeen points game. in like three plus minutes. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wonder. Uh, I, I wonder. What, I'd love to. I'm going to ask David Griffin or, or Alvin next time I talk about this offensive rebound because, you know, he's. I think he's averaging three offensive rebounds a game, and that's just look. It's a very, very small sample size. We have to keep stressing that. But uh, I wonder how they feel about that. Something to do for our next conversation. Any chance of rookie of the year? Oh, I think he has a chance. There's time left. People want so you know why, whether it's fair or not. People want him to win. People want him to win. But by the way, the Grizzlies are still playing really well. Eighteen of twenty-six since Morant came back from a little injury absence. I mean, that's a third of the season where they're winning at a well over fifty-win clip. But you've seen now, this Morant spectacular. You, you know what it is. Oh, he is. But you know how this goes. People, it's like, what have you seen lately? That's so how these, uh, this voting often goes. Like, what happens down yeah, the stretch? But if, if, if Morant has twice as many games... Well, and I tell you what, I think the only chance Zion has is if the Pelicans come all the way back and, and, and get in the playoffs. But I tell you, I, I don't think the Grizzlies are going to give that That's, spot up. Well, no, I, I voted I for Embiid uh, for Rookie of the Year when he'd only played 31 games. Um, but John Morant was not his competition that year. That's exactly yeah, that's no, no disrespect. No disrespect yeah, to Malcolm Brogdon. Brogdon. Yeah, right. no, I agree with you. That's right. It's that's just exactly fun. Right. It's fun to talk about. Fun to talk. They're both going to be. They're both going to be in this league for a long, long time. By the way, healthy. with the with yeah. the Grizzlies, um, uh, I'm telling you, I can't, I can't enforce this more strongly. They continue to tell people we are going to trade. Andre Iguodala, and And we're going to get good value for him. And if we don't trade him, we are not buying him out. They're basically pounding their fist and saying, God damn it, we are not doing it. And now, normally, because I'm a cynical SOB who's been around the league for 
two decades, um, I say, yeah, okay, I know you'll say that till February 7th and you'll change your mind, but they are being so adamant about it and it's an entirely new front office and they are in a position where they can set the tone for how things are going to go. And one of the things that about this front office is that they are very proud of Memphis. They don't, they don't want to give the impression that Memphis isn't a place to be. Um, that someplace that you'd want to get bought out from, you know, get out of here. So I know it's kind of been sitting on the back burner, but <laughs> this is going to get interesting. Um, well, and there's a suspicion around the league that their fallback option is the Mavericks offer of Courtney Lee, which is basically an expiring contract, and that Warriors second-round pick. The Mavericks insist to me that that offer is not on the table and they're not interested. They insist that. I don't necessarily believe that. You know, sometimes I, I always go back to the old quote from Nelly. You know, I'm lying if my lips are moving. Yeah. But so, well, you know, that's you what, a suspicion, though. and we'll see what happens. But I'll tell you what, if you, so we always play this game, right? The, a young core. Uh, name another team with a young core of the four players, Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., who's like one of my favorite players I can't take my oh, eyes he's, off. He's awesome. Just cannot. Dylan Brooks and Clark. Let, uh, those, those four young players, there are very few teams that can point to their future with a core like that of four. And a ton like of that. cap space this summer, although if they keep yeah. Brooks, he's going to get a chunk of it. Should we start talking about Taylor Jenkins for Coach of the Year a little bit here, too? We don't mention his name very often. Hey, well, who, I think who had the Grizzlies at 500 job. and then the eight seed? He's right, done a really good sure. job. So um, speaking of the cap this summer, by the time this podcast Ooh. comes out, the the memo could be out. This has been known in the league for a couple of weeks. Adrian Wojnarowski and Bobby Marks had the story yesterday. But um, as soon as this memo came out in the league, I started hearing from people about it. It's a little bit complex, so – but we've got an audience. If you're listening to this podcast, you know what you you know. You're not a casual NBA fan. Um, so every year, the NBA projects the salary cap. Um, they start the first projection comes in April at the end of the previous season, and then they update that projection at the beginning of the season, and then they update it again in April for both this year and the next year, and then final numbers come in, you know, at the end of June. Um, they never update it. In January, but the league is issued. The league let teams know two weeks ago that they're going to issue an update of the cap today. And this is one of those things where you're not issuing an update a week from the trade deadline because it's good news. Because it's going to be. Oh, by the way, the cap, <laughs> right. the cap right. is going right. up three or four million. So the cap was projected to go from 109 million to 116 million. Um, you know, a fair percentage increase, not huge, but not insignificant. And teams were working off that number. And it's not just the cap, but it also affects what the luxury tax number will be uh, next year. Well, because of revenue shortfalls, which we don't know the exact reason, we are, you know, most people oh, in the yes league. Oh, yes, we do. Well, just, you know, most people Go in the on. league are China surmising that it's, that it's a result of the fallout from China where they are still not showing – games on on uh, national television they are streaming games on the web but their the offerings are way way dramatically reduced um i will say this brian i thought it was great 
that Yal could put that all aside for David's funeral. David Stern. I do think, and and also I am, I am hoping that, um, you know, first off, the Chinese New Year just happened, which is the turning of the page. Um, Secondly, the death of Kobe, who was a massive, massive, um, hugely popular in China. Can, you know, it, 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 it's a time to, to, uh, end beefs, to, to settle scores, to, to, um, to squash grudges. Uh, but the reality is that, that, that China right now is dealing with a potential epidemic of a, of a virus. Yeah, so, other things going on. you know, it's not, but at the end of the day, there's significantly a hundred plus million dollars that normally comes from Chinese revenue. Um, the rockets are bearing. Yeah, Woj and Bobby had it as 150 to 200 million. Yeah, and that right there is, um, well, frankly, being dead honest, that is money out of the players and the teams, oh, yeah. but directly out yeah. of the players' pocket. No, it hurts, it hurts the players more than anybody, and that it's, it hurts the, the massive superstars, the guys with the big shoe deals more than anyone. But the, the one owner who really, really obviously hurt was Tillman Fertitta, who lost, you know, the Rockets had a ton of Chinese sponsorships and Kevin Arnovitz and others have covered that. But for the rest of the owners, you know, I mean, it, it's a, it's a sting, but it, it hurts the players more than it hurts the owners. I have heard, um, executives from other teams refer to this as the Daryl deduction. Huh, that's good. Yeah. I will tell Is you this, though. You, you, this, this shouldn't surprise. If you're, if you're a, an owner no. who's been following the league, none of this should be surprising you. Revenue before China, the revenues were declining. Because the the television ratings are down, I mean, so it's the China. I mean, that happened a while ago. You should have been adjusted. I think the biggest problem yeah, is the luxury tax, Brian. And you said you mentioned that in passing, but that to me is the real. That's where things. If you if you drop the luxury tax by what four or five million, it it doesn't affect teams four or five million dollars. It affects them exponentially. That's the you know. That's when we talk about it not hurting owners that much, it definitely hurts those owners. It hurts, it does. You know, the, and the, the Joe Lakeums of, of the world. Yeah, I think the Celtics. Well, so, so let me let me just again. This, this is kind of deep, but um, but I think this will actually help you understand why this is going to upset the players. So, as you know, the players and owners split the revenue 50-50. So all the money that comes in. The players get 50%, and that's where they get the salary gap number from, is, okay, the players are promised this 50%. The owners, and it, and it, some years it's 51, some years it's 49 based on complicated factors, but it's basically 50-50. So the way it works is every single time a player gets a check, okay, the NBA holds out 10% of it. 10%, okay? I want you to think about this. They're already paying, and we're not boohooing, okay, but I'm just... You know, they're already paying the highest income taxes, state income tax, what have you. They hold 10% aside. And the reason they do that is because what happens if they add up all the numbers and the players actually didn't get 50%, they got 52%, and the owners didn't get their full 50%. Then they return some of that money to the owners. Now, in the, in the last four or five years, the NBA business has been very good, and it's gone the other way. Not only have the players all gotten their 10% back – out of they refer to it as the escrow system, but the owners have ended up getting too much money, and they've had to write the players a check. I think um, a couple of years ago, it was several hundred thousand dollars that every single player got, and especially for a guy making the minimum four or five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand, which is a lot. Don't get me wrong, but then another check arrives for two hundred thousand. It's a pretty damn big uh, bonus. Um, 
so the, so what, what, what's been happening is the players have almost been ex- assuming and, and relying and, uh, uh, that that 10% at the end of the NBA year comes back to them, you know, and think if you're a guy who makes $20 million, it's $2 million that you're getting back at the end of June that you want to have back because you earned it. Well, if the revenues are down, okay, um, you may not, they may end up not being 50-50 or even in your favor. And so instead of getting a, a check for your 10% of your salary plus maybe a couple extra 100000 now you don't get all of it back because the revenues were sluggish. And this is a long way of saying that there be a lot of players who are really upset at Terrell Morey. Regardless of where you come down on what he said, uh, I'm not, this is not a value judgment. <laughs> this has really, really hurt uh, a lot of people. And not only today, but potentially in the future, which we've forgotten about, I think, because, you know, everybody moved on. It's not, you know, we don't live in China, so it doesn't affect us or what have you. But this was really, really hurtful. And this is, a, you know, whenever this number comes out today, and it'll be highly publicized because they're going to send it to every team. But um, this is, it's, it's, it's not good on any front. And, and frankly, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what this means going forward. Uh, to be honest with you. But, I mean, I don't know. I, we don't need to rehash Daryl and his position. But I know. I'm just saying that. I, I just, I, but I, I just, understand like, why the players well. are not going to be happy. Yeah, but also the players should understand. I mean, I don't know. The world is a bigger place. I, I just don't see how anyone can disagree with the sentiment. Maybe the way it was done. I, I don't want to go down this road again. We could spend the whole pot. Well, it's on one it, thing to take a I position. Wanna, it's another thing when, it's, when you don't get your money. <laughs> I, just, I understand you know, that, but I mean, but yeah. you know what? To me, that's to me. You're not really taking a position unless you have something at stake. That's just the truth of it. You're, yeah, you but really take. No, I understand. They didn't ask to take this position. Someone took right. it for them. I get it. I get all of that. I'm just, you know, Daryl Morey isn't isn't wrong in what he said. So let's just re- let's remind. I would like to remind everybody that Daryl Morey's sentiment was a good one. Whether he should have said it, whether it should have been in this thing, how it's affected the NBA, that's all fine. But let's just not lose sight of what he said. Well, it's not been a good year. It's not been a great year for NBA business, and some of it has nothing to do with that. We have a bunch of injuries, uh, unfortunately. Um, and I, I'm going to get my soapbox out here, uh, and I just hope you'll indulge me. Everybody. Cobwebs on there? Are there cobwebs, Brian? Where is it? Is there it might, in your basement, under your son's crib? Be. Where do you keep there, it? Where do you keep your soapbox? Be. Um, he he stands on it every time he does a, a, a stand up on TV. Oh, it's true. Especially if he's That's next to somebody. Mean. He's got to get it. We all can't out. be six feet, man. Yeah, Tim's six four, six Tim's five. Jackie, yeah, Jack, Jackie's taller than me. Andrew Hahn and I look eye to eye. That's that's not well. Andrew Hahn cheats with that little doofy. Uh, what's it? Top bun ponytail thing above? I don't even. What do you call that thing? I don't know what it's called. Man bun. It's a man bun. It's a man. No, bun. but it's not a bun. It's a. It's a man. I don't know. It's cool. Know whatever what it is. It. It's. It's what. Make, it's what makes the Han the Han. That's true. <laughs> that and the hammer pants. Some. Sometimes he. Yeah, uh, I do he love lets, those pants. Sometimes he lets pants. the bun down and you know goes with like the K-pop, flowing long locks look. Um, He's got great coats too. Han. Boy, this is He's becoming way too way too complimentary of him. I was trying. No, to I'd like to focus. borrow. I'd like to borrow half the coats Han has. Truly, <laughs> my most emasculating. My, too long. <laughs> my most emasculating moment in my in ESPN career. Okay, 
I'm doing a stand-up with Sage Steele during the finals in Miami one of the years. And Sage is like 5'11", 6 foot. And then she also wears high heels, like like very high heels. It's part of her her thing. And we were standing side by side, and they had to halt the, the taping to go get an apple box for me to stand on. So that she wasn't, you know, towering over me. And then we were getting set for the show. We're getting set for the shot again, and then the the camera guy goes, "Hold on one second. and I hear him whisper to one of the this the other camera people, "Go uh, go get the bigger box. Will you go get the bigger oh, box? God. I had to get the bigger <laughs> box." All right. So with all yeah, that, I got to tell you, I, I got to tell you just a quick same story. It's the last night of the old Boston Garden, big night, right for all of us. Very nostalgic. Of course, I can't wait to get out of there because it's got so much asbestos. But it's the very last night. Red Arbach's still alive. I'm talking with him, and when Steve Leposky, great photographer, great NBA photographer, comes by and he goes, hey, let me get a picture of you two. It's the last night at the garden. What do you say? I said, okay. So I'm, I'm in a dress and heels and stand next to Red. And Red goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. He goes, i got to take off my glasses. So then he takes off his glasses, and then we're about to take the shot. And he goes, no, no, wait. He goes, excuse my language, you're too f- <laughs> tall. Take off those shoes. Oh, I can't, we can't say that on the pod, can we? Uh, Make him bleep, bleep it. it. it be all right. You're too right bleeping down, tall. Right. Take off your shoes. So then I have, this is the only photo of any NBA person in my home. It's a picture of Red Arbeck, me at center court. I'm standing there barefoot and my shoes, my heels are off to the side because that's the only way Red would take <laughs> And I'm still I taller than him, by the way. I was still taller than that. him. I love that story. It's all true. I love that story. All true. Um, for the last week or so, that's yeah, been about two weeks now, there's been something awesome happening in the NBA and no attention to it. Or I shouldn't say nobody, but almost nobody. And this to me is where the league needs to reevaluate where things are, especially as we are having a bit of a struggling year for various reasons. Uh, we don't pay attention to the game. David Stern was famous for saying, when you're in trouble, the game will always bail you out because it is a great game. We need to pay more attention to the game. Every single night in the NBA, most nights, but I would say almost every single night, there is something amazing, something great that happens. And right now, Damian Lillard is having an absolutely unbelievable run of greatness. It happens to be happening during a long homestand. And I don't believe any of these games have been on national TV. Maybe one no, of them was. No, two of them have been. Two okay, of them two of them have been. Have been. But there one was a loss starts. to the to the uh, to the Mavericks, where he was still awesome, and then last night against the Rockets, where he once that's again right. Last night's game was on national TV. Put, the, put right. daggers in a in, in a Russell Westbrook team. I always forget. I always I always forget what's on national TV because you know when you have league pass, every game's on except for the Nuggets games for me. <clears throat> Although I have to say, I am getting more Nuggets games than I used to, even though I live 500 miles from Denver. All right. <laughs> That's another soapbox. Just the we'll passive aggressiveness. You got how many boxes do you have today, Brian? <laughs> I got a lot. I'm, I'm, I told you he never puts it aside. He's always standing on it. These are his last six games: thirty-four points, ten assists, two steals; thirty-four points, six assists, one steal; sixty-one points, ten rebounds, seven assists; forty-seven points, eight assists, six rebounds; fifty points. 13 assists, 6 rebounds, and last night, his first triple-double, 36 points, 10 assists, 11 rebounds. And while I want to recognize that he individually himself is playing great, 
and he is chasing the eighth seed, whether he gets there or not, because they have lost a few of these games that he's played great in. I don't know if he's going to get there. The, Bla- the Blazers have a lot of challenges. But this is what we should be spending time recognizing in the NBA. It doesn't just have to be who's in first place. It doesn't just have to be who's in the biggest market. Although I recognize those are important things and those are central to NBA business. I recognize that free agency and big trades are important for the fans. We as a league and as the media partners need to spend more time focusing on the nightly fantastic stuff that happens in this league. This league right now is great. Last night, Victor Oladipo hits a 30-footer to force yeah, overtime. Cool. Okay? In first, his first game, game back after more than a year. Yeah. We need to spend more time doing this. And I understand that in the short term, it may not get the most eyeballs and it may not get the most clicks. But we are making a mistake by not recognizing the nightly greatness in the league. And this last, this thing, what's going on? Lillard should be, okay, and because of the other things going on, I understand that it is it is a challenge right now to focus on the basketball games. I understand that. But if this was happening a month ago or a month from now, Lillard would be in the same position of not getting as much attention. Um, and we need to adjust it, Jackie. That's I, I mean, that's all I, that's all I want to say. I felt that for a long time. I, I've said this several times over, and and I'm You're going to be saying it even more. You know me. You're preaching to the choir. I, I, I would always prefer to write about you know, Jamal Murray than I would LeBron James. That's just, let's go where, to let's find out about these young players that are important to our league. And so I I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned Lillard. I was thinking about him this morning because, um, you know, I, I don't always make it to the end of the games because it's late night here for me in the East when I'm, you know, when I've got my NBA league pass, I do, I'm going to confess sometimes to dozing off and not seeing the end. But it occurred to me that the games I've been watching, like not only is he playing great and shooting the ball, but, he just seemed to be passing the ball so well. So I did look it up. Just, you know, he's, he's on a path for career-high assists. He's averaging almost eight assists a game. So it's not just, you know, Lillard has never been just the one-man band that just fires up shots. That's never who he's been. And his loyalty to that franchise, to mm-hmm. me, we don't make nearly enough of that either. This is a well, guy say, he's one of the, I want to win here. Yeah. yeah, he's one of the best leaders in the league. And there's a lot of guys that if they were in his position right now where they are still six games under 500, the season got off to an awful start, they had all kinds of issues, you know, they, they might feel like, you know what, man, I, I, I ta- we topped out last year and got swept in the West Finals. That's as good as it's going to get here. Let me start trying to, you know, push an exit strategy. But he's he is, you know, as solid as it gets and... Absolutely spectacular! I'm t- the race for eighth in the West is fun. We t- we've going. we've gushed about the Grizzlies and Zion and Dame Lillard. These are all teams fighting for the last playoff spot in the and, West. And, and but that's I, a fun and, race. And I, and I know that winning the eighth playoff seed doesn't get you into the Hall of Fame, but, yeah, but you have to respect the people who are out there trying to do it. Come on, it's and it's, it's entertaining. If you're, play, if you're playing an NBA season, your job is supposed to win. As many that's games right. as you can. That's just how and it we, works. And we and need to pay like, more attention to the season. Right. And I, I thought it was the interesting season. too. The people were talking about the Pelicans. Well, why do you want to bring Zion back now? You're you know, you're languishing around the bottom of the West. You can get another great pick. That's not how this works. Now, 
it can work that way sometimes. You know, like famously, the Spurs didn't bring David Robinson back so they could draft Tim Duncan. You know, whether David Robinson could have come back that year or not, who knows? They gambled and won. But in general, these players don't care what their front office wants, That you know, what their long-term plan is. That, that was always true even with the Sixers when they were tanking. Players want to win. That's what they're supposed to do. As Kobe Bryant always said, if you're not going to win, why the hell are you here? And that's the player mentality, at least good players. Kobe, Kobe would fight for the eighth seed. He tore his Are Achilles tendon fighting, fighting for the that's eighth right. seed. Um, all right. Well, that's that's all. Well, trust me, I, I, I'm sorry, but um, I'm going to be saying that more and more. So my soapbox is going to stay out. Um, just so I can look eye to eye to you guys. I would. Uh, I want to stand on one with you, but then I'd be taller than you again, Brian. You are so you're damn right. <laughs> Um, All right, my dear. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast. Uh, thank you for uh, supporting um, the NBA during this difficult time, and um, we press onward. Thank you, McMahon. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Troy and Bristol. Thank you, Andrew Hahn. Thank you, all listeners. Have a good weekend. Mm-hmm.